Welcome to the All In My Head podcast. We're glad you decided to give this podcast a listen. We're a group of teens that are making a podcast for youth by youth. We will counter stereotypes around mental health in the teen, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus community and talk about things you might find a little uncomfortable. It's, it's real teens, real, real, real talk. Thank you for choosing to listen to the All In My Head podcast today. Today we'll be doing the part two of our sexual assault prevention episode. Hello, thank you for joining us today. Could you please share your name, pronouns, and who you work with as well as your title? Absolutely. It's nice to see you, Lauren. Thank you. I'm Elizabeth Johnson. My preferred pronouns are she, her, hers. I work in Portland Public Schools uh, in the Central District Office. I am a Title IX educator and investigator serving all of our schools here in Portland. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'll just introduce myself really quick. My name is Lauren. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a student within the Portland Public School District. Would you mind sharing with us how we can promote sexual health awareness within health classes here in the Portland Public School District? Yeah, I I love that question because, of course, it gets at the heart of prevention and education and the important role that that can play. I do want to say that health classes in that curriculum don't fall under Title IX, so I can't speak with a lot of knowledge about what's there. But what I can say is I know there's a lot of really great positive energy across the district, including in health classes and curriculum, to expand consent education, which, of course, is so incredibly important. So I know we're aligned in vision, and I know Title IX has been working to make sure that we're expanding that consent-based education. And this is incredibly important to me. I've worn lots of hats in my 20 years as an educator, and for many years, I was a comprehensive sex ed teacher. And I really do believe in the importance of making sure that young people have all of the information to make healthy, positive, good choices for themselves. And I think now more than ever, things like health classes really need to catch up you know, youth are doing an inspiring, powerful job of pushing for the adults to get where they're at, talking about affirmative consent, talking about healthy and equitable relationships, directly addressing sexual violence, and the adults need to catch up and do a better job. And I think that health classes, sex education are places we can do that. I think it's also particularly important for teens right now because In my experience, you know, the social megaphones around sex and sexuality and relationships that we hear are so loud and so unhealthy, right? The dominant voices in our popular culture are far more aligned with sexual violence, misogyny, porn culture, and those voices are everywhere and kids hear them and very small and not as loud are the adult voices that are talking about what love is, how love can be safe, equitable, and healthy, and what affirmative consent is. So I imagine it's really hard for kids to navigate those different messages. And I think the more adults can both model and directly teach about healthy sexual decision-making, you know, the better we're going to serve kids. Thank you so much for that perspective on how adults can work better to support youth in our community. You mentioned Title IX a little bit. Could you please expand on what Title IX is and who it protects? Yeah, absolutely. 
And this is something that I spent all day talking about since it's my main job. And I'm going to try in this conversation to not be too legalese or boring about it. So please steer me somewhere else if you'd like, if it's getting too much in the weeds of that. But what the first thing I think that's really important for folks to know about Title IX is it's a federal law. It is part of Educational Amendments Act that was passed in 1972. I think it's helpful to see it as civil rights legislation that is specific to protections around gender and sex and education. And so thinking about this, what it says very clearly is that all students in public education in this country have the right to go to school and not experience specific things. Those protected areas that are prohibited are sexual assault, sexual harassment, teen dating violence, which can sometimes combine those things, LGBTQ plus bullying and harassment, and really all forms of sex-based discrimination. In athletics, we really see it with pregnant and parenting teens, right? The idea that everybody has the right to go to school and not have these things happen, and that schools have the responsibility, and here where youth advocacy is very important, schools have the legal responsibility, not just the ethical or caring responsibility but the legal responsibility to make sure that students can report when these things have happened and that they will be received with care and steps will be taken to make sure that they are safe, right? And that anything that has been happening stops, but most importantly, that everybody can access their education. And so Title IX is around all of these things. And so of course, in your, you know, the conversation about preventing and responding to sexual violence, Title IX plays a big role but its primary role is about how we go to school. I think a great example of that can be, so say somebody has experienced violence in a dating relationship, and most of that interpersonal violence or abuse has happened outside of school and has not impacted school. Until and unless at school they're experiencing that abuse or they report it and there's retaliation. You know, they block somebody's number and they keep bothering them at school, right? All of those things take something that was a personal harm, which isn't okay, but really puts it at the center of Title IX and a school's responsibility. If you're feeling you can't go to school and you're not safe, Title IX has the right toolkit to help you. Thank you so much for talking about how Title IX affects youth in the school system. Would you please explain how someone can file Title IX report within the school system? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is something that we are just getting better at at Portland Public Schools. And so I know it's something that has not felt clear or accessible in the past to everyone. And I think that's an important moment to note that, you know, the district Title IX office at Portland Public Schools is about two years old. And most of that time has been during distance learning. And there are two of us on a team of four who respond to Title IX reports. So we have a lot of work to do. And so a lot of the things that I'm sharing are new information and new initiatives we have. So the easiest and best ways to make a report. There is an online Google form on the Title IX site, and there's QR codes and posters around, et cetera, where a student can just log in and make their report. And that report does not have to include details about their story, about what they experienced. And it just comes to me. They all come to me. Every morning I sit down and I receive reports and I begin the process of responding to them. Students can also report at their school. 
they should really go to any trusted adult. But there's also one person in each school who's designated and trained and is my partner in receiving Title IX reports. They're called the Title IX coordinator or the school compliance officer. And we want to always make sure that students know who at their school is that person. And of course, you can talk to any adult, but what we would hope is, say a student talks to their trusted teacher or their counselor, that that other person in the school is saying, hey, you know, I think Title IX can help. I think if we make a report, we can get some help from them. Can I help you do that? Right? Because just talking to the caring adult doesn't necessarily mean you're getting connected to the supports and resources and opportunity for action to happen, right? So a good thing for a student, I would say, is if they think they're reporting, but somebody hasn't connected them to me or the Title IX report or their Title IX coordinator at school, they might need to do a little bit more advocacy. Like, thanks for listening, but I need something to happen. Okay, here's how we do that. I think the other important thing about reporting, and the form is there, not like, I don't want it to feel like it's a big bureaucratic thing. It's a super simple Google form. Folks can, of course, also text, call, like all of those things can happen. But the report is not the same as a complaint. And I, I'm going to explain that because I think it's really important because we know there's a lot of barriers to young people reporting when they've been harmed, a lot of barriers. And one of those is this worry about, okay, once I do this, like what's going to happen? Are you going to tell my parents? Like, is this now an official investigation? Are the police going to be called? Is DHS going to be called? Like all of these are really important questions for people to make the right choice for them. When you fill out that report form, I like to think of it as you're kind of just waiting a flag, like something happened, I've been hurt, I think it falls under Title IX, and I'd like to talk to somebody about that, who's ready to talk with me, who has the skills to talk with me about it. That's all that that report means. And the first thing when I respond by text or email, hey, let's talk, let's get on the phone, or I'd like to come to your school, all that's happening in that first meeting is an introduction and a sense of what questions do you have, how can I best help you right now, and to lay out options for folks to make their own choices. One of those options can be to file an official complaint, which again, it's not like a big bureaucratic thing. It's saying, I want to make an official complaint and opening an investigation. But we make sure that that step happens when it's really what the person wants and with all of the information that they need about what could likely happen and what that process is so that they know what's right for them in that. So when you make a report, it's just getting connected to resources. It doesn't mean all of these other things will happen. Those are things we would talk about and decide together. And the person who's been harmed is going to make those choices for themselves, and I'm going to honor those choices. Thank you so much for expanding on the reporting process a little bit. Those are all the questions I have for you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Now that we have heard from the Title IX investigator here in the Portland Public School District, we will hear from one of the confidential advocates, and they will tell us about their job and how they support students here in the Portland Public School District. My name is Corinne Marcus. I am a junior at Cleveland High School, and I use she, her pronouns. Feel free to introduce yourself as well. Hi, my name is Pamela. My pronouns are she, her, and I work as a confidential teen advocate and dating violence prevention educator for a sexual and domestic violence agency in Portland, Oregon called Home Free. Um, Home Free teams up with Raphael House, another SDV agency in town, to provide confidential support to survivors, staff, and community within the Portland Public School District and surrounding areas. 
our agencies have been coming into the schools to provide education about consent and healthy relationships for over 15 years now. But in the past five years or so, we have developed a partnership wherein PPS provides office space for us to meet with students on site, um, which is really great because it gives us more of an opportunity to build relationships with the community at each school, support student efforts to promote consent culture, and collaborate with staff members to support survivors. We currently have regularly scheduled advocacy office hours at Cleveland, Franklin, Grant, Roosevelt, Benson, and McDaniel, and we're hoping to expand into more in the coming years. That's awesome that you guys are at so many schools. I didn't know that. What is the process when a student comes to you with a report, and how do you make them aware of their options? Yeah, so to be clear, um, talking to a confidential advocate is not making a report at all. Advocates who work for certified SDV agencies are designated under a special privilege law, which means we are required and committed to completely protecting the privacy of people who come to us for services. And that includes minors. We see advocate confidentiality as really important because we recognize a lot of youth hesitate to reach out for help when they experience harm because they don't know what that person will do with the information sometimes. But we're not mandatory reporters, so we'll never tell anyone anything you shared with us without your consent. With a confidential advocate, we're just here to listen, ask how you want to be supported, explore potential options, and answer questions best we can. It can be super casual, flexible, focused on your goals as they change over time. And if you have been harmed and you decide you want to make a report, we can help you make a plan and stick with you every step of the way if you want. And also, we're just here to chat, you know, if you're feeling bummed after a breakout, breakup or breakout, really, <laughs> or you have questions about like dealing with jealousy or like emotional health stuff or gender, pretty much anything goes. And we're available in all sorts of ways by phone, text, video chat, in person, we can meet up lots of different places, not just in our offices in the schools. That's nice that students have like multiple ways to reach out to you guys in case, I don't know, and they can just come in and chat. Similar to what you were just talking about, what ways do you communicate the student perspective with administrative staff? So again, when it comes to working with individuals, an advocate will never share anything about your specific situation or opinions with anybody. But if you request for us to speak on your behalf, we will work with you to make sure we're communicating your message accurately to whoever you want it to go to. But more broadly, since we do get to talk to lots of students, we're able to let the administrators we partner with know if we're hearing general concerns or feedback about needs. I mean, for instance, students have been telling us they want to have a better understanding of the Title IX process. So I'm really happy you all are creating this podcast. And we are 
collaborating with administration too to raise awareness about it and give presentations in classroom. We also give trainings to staff members about stuff like, you know, supporting their understanding of SDV and preparing them to respond to disclosures in trauma-informed ways, like even if they are mandatory reporters. And it's a really big priority for us to empower student voice. And in the past, advocates have collaborated with and supported student active groups in various projects, including things like writing letters to the district, sharing requests about SDV prevention and response. That's great that you guys can do so much for the students and help voice them, especially when they're having trouble. What legal limitations do you face as a confidential advocate? And more specifically, what legal limitations are imposed on you when working with a public school? So within PPS, there are a lot of really good tools available to respond when someone has been harmed. And I truly very much believe that administrators in the district care so much about students and want to do everything they can to support survivors. And as a confidential advocate, I'm not directly involved in the school's processes, and I'm never going to pressure anyone to report to the school that they've been harmed. Some survivors choose to heal from harm and move on in different ways, and that is completely okay. But if people do want the school to do something, then the person who was hurt needs to make a Title IX report to let the right people know and start the official response process. I guess, I don't know if I would call it a limitation, but the school can't legally take action just based on like things they've heard or social media posts. So I think that's an important thing for people to know if they want support in certain ways. Also, when it comes to social media posts, I understand that some people want to speak online to let others know about the harm that they've experienced from someone. And I completely see where those people are coming from, for sure. And just a quick like summary on Title IX, it's a federal law that seeks to ensure that all students have equal access to education and aren't prevented from participating due to harassment, violence, or discrimination related to sexuality or gender. And legally, under Title IX, spreading information about a student's sexual behavior can be considered sexual harassment, even if that student has harmed other people. And PPS is required to comply with those Title IX laws. So that can be a good thing to know. And another thing that comes to mind is that, you know, when people hear that a student has harmed another student, it makes a lot of sense to want to know what that outcome is and what the school is doing. And I've seen people get really angry and confused about why the outcomes of SDV reports weren't made public. And it did, it helped me to learn that PPS is required to comply with many federal laws, one of them is called FERPA, um, which protects student privacy 
and keeps all academic counseling discipline records confidential. So say I'm a student who was harmed and I make a Title IX report. Then I, you know, I'm going to talk to the Title IX investigator and together we might decide to move forward with an official Title IX complaint and investigation. When the outcome of the Title IX investigation has been reached, that outcome can only be shared with me, the person who hurt me, our families, and the administrator at our school under FERPA. If the investigation is going to a disciplinary hearing, PPS will tell me the possible disciplinary outcomes for the person who harmed me, which might include educational sanctions or other accountability steps. But legally under FERPA, specific about the disciplinary outcome can only be shared with that student, their parent, and the school administrator. So. I think all these laws exist for really good reasons, you know, to protect the rights of students. But for sure, I get why many people would be confused or frustrated by them at times. And I do want to add that, you know, before, instead of, or through all of these processes, um, such as, you know, reporting or undergoing an investigation, there are a lot of effective interventions that can be shared transparently to help make sure survivors are safe and supported. Some of those could include, you know, warning letters, to the person who did harm, educational interventions, parent meetings, safety plans, rearranging schedules, increasing monitoring, stay away agreements, and also, you know, referrals to other supportive services. That's really interesting about Title IX. I didn't know that it could sometimes protect the person who's doing the harm. Well, I can see why they would put some of those somewhat limitations on the title, but I guess I didn't see how it could also be used for, I wouldn't say not for good, but sometimes not in the way it was intended to. Totally. Yeah. Well, and of course, like the word limitation, it's like kind of tricky, you know, because I always try to like, like look at the big picture of things and being like, okay, yes, of course, student rights are important. And I think that it's important to kind of like just name and share like some of the background information about why some of these things happen that I know cause students to end up being like the school isn't doing anything or the school wants to silence survivors. And so I just want people to know that like there are these like laws at play like behind the scenes that kind of like lay out like some of the the reasons that administrators do the things that they do. I know that at my school specifically, there's been a lot of frustration towards the administration and towards the district for not being as proactive as we think they should be or as they could be. And I think that like that's realistic to some point, but Mm -hmm. it's also it helps add perspective and it helps be educated about what Title IX is and what they can legally do. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, it can bring a lot of relief to know that like, okay, like there are legal reasons that like this information about like what's going on in a certain situation, like is kept private, but to also be assured that like, if a report has been made, like there are steps being taken, you know, behind the scenes. And I love too what you said about education because like I super strongly believe that education about healthy relationships and consent and violence is a form of prevention. Like the more people know like what is okay and what's not okay and what is expected in terms of practicing good consent, the less possible it is for, you know, people to either make a mistake or do something harmful and be like, I didn't know. So it's like, let's let them know. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that students can like be so powerful in that work of, you know, educating one another, sharing information, you know, holding one another accountable if somebody does harm somebody else. And instead of being like, they're lying, that didn't happen, that they could like go to their friend and be like, hey, let's talk about like what good consent looked like. It's got to be verbal and sober and enthusiastic. And that person has to feel safe saying no. And it's very unlikely if all of those aspects of good consent are present that anybody is going to like wake up the next day or the next week or month or whatever and be like, I experienced violence by this person. And so I think that when someone does speak up about violence, that occurred it's important to like acknowledge that it did (laughs) very likely you know and and to encourage that accountability to take place and to know that like we owe one another the respect of like honoring when we have created harm and doing what we can to make amends or minimize the continued like suffering or discomfort of that person. And maybe that means not going to that party or not trying to sit at that lunch table anymore, you know, things like that. It's all small stuff, but I think it really adds up and is important. Yeah, I especially really liked what you added about, like, if you have a friend who has done harm, not just immediately saying that they're lying or trying to cover up for them, but actually being a good friend. And I don't know if ally is the correct word, but just being active and doing what you, what you can to, like, stop the cycle. And again, I think that education is really important in that, even just, like, letting your friend know, like, hey, that's not okay. This is what is okay. I totally think that that is definitely a form of prevention. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a lot less likely that people are going to go on doing things if they know that they are going to be held accountable for them. And I think that that is a really exciting thing about like this moment in history where like survivors are speaking out on an unprecedented scale. And I think I think it is changing the world and I think that, you know, we're all like learning a lot in the process 
about how to support one another and how to heal. And I think that accountability is a really big piece of it. And I will add, if I may, that, you know, as an advocate, I work with a lot of survivors and people who have been through really hard and painful stuff. And I hold like very deeply in my heart the certainty that anybody, no matter what they've gone through, is capable of healing and going on to live a life that is meaningful and happy and healthy and full of love. And I just want people to like hold that faith in themselves, especially if they have experienced harm or someone who they care about has experienced harm. Healing is possible and it is especially possible when people receive compassionate and empowering support. That's really beautiful. Oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional over here. I love what you said about how anybody's capable of healing and support. And I think being a victim is awful and it's something that you didn't choose. It's something that happened to you. But I don't know, I guess sometimes it feels like it's difficult when you have lost so much control and to finally kind of regain that self-control and be like, okay, this was awful, but you can still heal and it doesn't define you, though it still can be a very huge part of your story. Absolutely. And I think that like people's healing stories can look really, really different. Like that path is really personal for every person, like, and regardless of what they experienced. And so knowing that like there can be like many evolutions of that journey and just knowing that like whatever feelings are coming up, like makes sense can be like affirming to people too. Like you don't have to feel any specific way on any specific timeline if you experienced harm, like your journey is your own. Yeah, exactly. And all feelings that are associated with that are totally valid. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I would love to just, you know, give a little information on how people can get in touch with a confidential advocate. If you would like to talk to somebody, you can reach one of us by calling or texting our phone number at 503-809-4357. And we also have an Instagram. It is consent underscore convergence. And, you know, we're trying to just make as many ways as possible for people to get in touch with us and to be able to, you know, share information and updates and be able to answer any questions people have and, you know, provide support, you know, to folks who have experienced something hard and also to folks who are like, I want to work to change these circumstances. I want to, you know, provide education to my peers. I want to be a consent activist because I think that is what this big change requires making it into a movement. And so I really appreciate you for chatting with me today. And thanks for having me on the show. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Pamela. It was so great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the All in My Head podcast today. 
Make sure to subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date on future episodes. Also make sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore all in my head podcast. Have a great day. This podcast was created using a grant from the Oregon Alliance to Prevent Suicide in partnership with the Association of Oregon Community Mental Health Programs and with funding from the Oregon Health Authority. The adult advisor is Nicole Mayer, music by Waterboy, shared on Pixabay.